From GreenBiz Group, welcome to Center Stage, the best of live interviews from GreenBiz events. I'm Joel McCower. Uncommon collaboration, again, is a mindset predicated on transforming the way we drive our partnerships, all with the goal of creating uncommon results. Andy Butler leads supplier citizenship programs at Procter & Gamble. He joined with Tom Cleaves, who similarly leads the global citizenship team at International Paper, in conversation with GreenBiz Vice President and Senior Analyst John Davies at the GreenBiz 18 conference in Phoenix, Arizona. Together, they discussed how they are driving sustainable change throughout their value chains and beyond through strategic alignment, cross-functional dialogue, and partnerships. Let's listen in. So we've got a few slides to kick this off. And uh, Tom, I'm going to send it over to you to start. Okay, thank you, John. Good morning, everyone. So I'm Tom Cleaves. I work in global citizenship for international paper. Uh, And global citizenship for us is sustainability, what we used to call philanthropy. We now call it community engagement and corporate marketing and communications. And I'm here with my colleague, Andy Butler. Good morning, everyone. Andy Butler. I work at Procter & Gamble, and I have the privilege of leading what we call our supplier citizenship program. So you see the consistency in the language that we're using. What that means for me is that I sit in our purchases organization, and I have responsibility for how we drive P&G's corporate citizenship agenda with and through our 45,000 global suppliers. For us, that encompasses environmental sustainability, diversity and inclusion, gender equality, community impact, and ethics and corporate responsibility. I'm excited to be here with Tom and John to talk about this notion of uncommon collaboration. And as, as you alluded to, we've had this discussion, we've talked about collaboration a lot today. You've already heard some of our previous panelists talk about how they view collaboration and how they're changing the way they look at it, which is a great segue into what we want to talk about. The words collaboration and transparency are used a lot in our industry, and for good reason. Without them, we cannot possibly achieve the sustainable businesses that all of our companies aspire to. But we think it's time to raise the bar on collaboration and transparency. And that's what today is about. It's about demonstrating what the next evolution of collaboration and transparency could look like in a supplier-customer relationship, and challenging all of us to collectively elevate the standard by which we interact. Now, this concept started with a discussion Tom and I had, I guess, about 15 months ago now, now, right, Tom, where our teams came together, and we recognized that due to some changes happening in our relationship, we were creating the conditions to collaborate in a different way. And from those discussions, this idea of uncommon collaboration was born. Now, the way we look at it, uncommon collaboration is not a skill, it's not a tool, it is a mindset. And the idea of action-oriented transparency is how we activate that mindset of uncommon collaboration to ultimately drive results. And so what we want to do today is go a little bit into how we have identified those conditions, which Tom will talk about here in a moment, to allow this uncommon collaboration to lead to uncommon results and give you a couple examples of how we've brought this to life in the Procter & Gamble and international paper relationship. Thanks, Andy. So we have a couple of slides, but the point is not to flip through slides together. Uh, Andy and I invited John, I said, as we show any of these slides, feel free, John, to interrupt us and interject, ask a question. I'm not shy. Make a comment. Thank you. So uh, Andy and I had prepared for this, and we agreed that the key words for today's discussion would be trust, collaboration, and transparency. But after listening to the speakers for the last couple days, we decided we should add blockchain as one of our key words as well. So a little bit about our relationship. International Paper and P&G have had a relationship. It's a general rela- generational relationship. Uh, we've been a large supplier. They've been a large customer for probably most of the last century. 
Uh, but in 2016, International Paper made an acquisition that had an exponential impact on our relationship with P&G. We transitioned from a large supplier-customer relationship to a very strategic partnership between our two companies. So what do we do for Procter & Gamble? We make fluff pulp, which is generally made out of southern pine fiber. It's the primary absorbent material in baby diapers, feminine hygiene products, and adult incontinence. So that's the major product that, that we develop and provide for Procter & Gamble. We also make other specialty pulps that P&G uses in towel and tissue. Um, and so that gives you an idea of the, the kind of the relationship we have together. So when Andy and I started working together about a year and a half ago, um, we looked at our goals and we looked at Procter & Gamble's goals for citizenship and we saw a remarkable similarity between the two sets of goals. You can see on the left here are P&G's five citizenship goals. On the right are our five global citizenship goals. It was very easy to map all of their goals to all of, their, all of our goals. The other thing it was easy to map to is all of the sustainable development goals. So this set the tone for building a relationship of collaboration and transparency that we've been working on. So uh, I don't recall how long it was, Andy, but I think it was about three months into our relationship where we finally set our vision of working together. So our vision is to have a seamless partnership based on trust and transparency that allows P&G and IP to exceed shareholder expectations while improving the sustainability of both of our companies and the sustainability of our planet. So seamless relationship built on trust and transparency that enables us to meet shareholder expectations but also improve the sustainability of our two companies and our planet. So this discovery and this new vision statement led us to go commission new teams. And we recognize the importance of creating new platforms, as I'm gonna call them, to enable this mindset of uncommon collaboration, to nurture the mindset, because it's great to start to build the shared idea, then we have to go nurture it, right? And so previously we had teams focused on things like supplier performance improvement and scorecarding which are all still important things, and we continue to do those, obviously. But we decided to bring together different IP folks, different P&Gers, to focus on different types of problems. For example, how do we create responsible forestry together? How do we create more sustainable products for our feminine care and baby care businesses? And by creating these new platforms, it gave us the ability to go bring this action-oriented transparency to life. And this is where we want to get into a couple of these examples of how we've leveraged those platforms for uncommon collaboration to go drive action-oriented transparency and to deliver ultimately the business results that all of us are looking for. Thanks, Andy. So let me, let me just interrupt there. When I hear new teams, I hear investment going to, to uh, your CFO to get some money. Is that what was occurring or were you just moving people to a new focus? For us, it was relatively organic. And so certainly there might be some incremental costs around uh, traveling for a different type of meeting or some, uh, some soft costs of I need to spend a bit more time talking to different people. But there wasn't a necessarily a massive investment needed. It was more redirecting resources and having them focus on, frankly, the right problem statements that maybe we weren't focused on before. Exactly. I think it's more about collaboration, getting our brand teams together, our supply chain teams together, our sustainability teams together. But that said, the very first example we're going to show you we each threw in a few hundred thousand dollars for this collaboration that we're going to talk that's about. That's a good example. So the, uh, Andy talked about the sustainability of forests. Why is it important to our companies? Well, our entire company depends on the sustainability of forests. We're the world's largest producer of fiber-based packaging pulp and paper products. 
And P&G has a commitment to supply, to purchase 100% of their raw materials from responsibly managed forests. So strong overlap between our, our core values as companies and what both of us need from this relationship. So in 2016, P&G, IP, 3M, who may be in the room with us today, um, and the American Forest Foundation formed the Carolinas Working Forest Conservation Collaborative. It's a long title that was developed by committee and run by legal. We wanted to call it a partnership. It wound up being the Carolinas Working Forest Conservation Collaborative. So in the US, most of the land is owned by individuals. Individuals own more land than corporations and they own more land than government. And in the southeastern United States, most of the forest land is owned by individuals. It's the forest land that we get our fiber off of. In a survey that we did, 87% of them indicated it's they, one of the top reasons they own the forest is for the wildlife, yet they also admit they lack the functional technical expertise to make sure they're managing their land for uh, healthy forest ecosystems, hence the collaborative that we've got. So it's all about engaging individual landowners to understand how to enhance, protect, and restore bottomland hardwoods and the at-risk species that depend on those hardwoods. The, it's not a feel-good project, it's very metric-based. We have aggressive goals to um, work with 30,000 forest landowners that collectively own two and a half million acres. We've got a goal to get 450 of those landowners to connect with us, give them the technical assistance so that they can enhance and expand bottomland hardwood forest and protect at-risk species. We also set a goal of getting 120 of them to certify their land to a credible third-party forest system. So that's our forest collaboration. The second example we want to talk about is something we call the Sustainability Partner Innovation Network. And so as we were going through this process, we recognized that uncommon collaboration can happen on a one-to-one -one basis, but Tom actually mentioned this on one of the earlier panels, it can also happen on a one-to-many basis. And so at P&G, we started asking ourselves a simple question. How do we achieve together what we cannot achieve alone? And what that led us to do is create this thing called SPIN. SPIN is what we consider a supplier ecosystem. It's 15 suppliers to P&G across all of our spending areas, advertising, chemicals, packaging, logistics, that come together on a regular basis with key P&G leaders with the goal of creating innovation to make respons responsible consumption possible. And so International Paper is part of the SPIN network. There's also actually a few other members in this room, Dow, BASF, Novozymes, TerraCycle, I think we're all here, uh, that are part of SPIN as well. What SPIN also is, is a platform for uncommon collaboration. And so back to the comment that I made earlier, fostering the shared mindset is part of this, but creating the platforms to bring that mindset to life and activate the action-oriented transparency is critical. Now we activate SPIN in a number of different ways. One of the ways is a picture you see on your screen here. We brought SPIN together, 12 of our suppliers out of the 15, with P&G leaders across research and development, marketing, design, sales, and a few other functions for a two and a half day immersive design thinking workshop in Chicago. You can see Tom is kind of in the middle of that picture at the edge of his seat, uh, eager to share his insights. I'm taking that picture, so I'm, I'm not actually in this one. Um, and if you're familiar with the concept of design thinking, it's all about falling in love with the problem. And that's what we came together to do, to create and fall in love with new problems to make responsible consumption possible. And this happened two and a half months ago. We've got four prototype ideas that we're working on right now as an outcome. Unfortunately, given the stage there, and I can't talk about them, Tom and I, I think, would both tell you some of them are, are pretty transformational for both of our businesses. Hopefully, we can talk about them at a, at a future Green Biz event sometime. 
But as we talk about this concept of uncommon collaboration, what I want to stress as well, we, the action-oriented transparency, you can imagine the transparency that's required to make this possible. We're talking about reinventing business models, obsoleting things we do today, having competitors in the room. And so uncommon collaboration, again, is a mindset predicated on transforming the way we drive our partnerships, all with the goal of creating uncommon results. When we've got the conditions that Tom talked about for uncommon collaboration, when we can create the platforms to foster and nurture the mindset, it enables this action-oriented transparency and ultimately the result we're looking for. And before we get to a couple questions, what we'd like to leave you with, Tom and I, is a call to action. And so we've talked about how in our supplier-customer relationship, we've tried to bring uncommon collaboration to bear through a couple of these examples. What we challenge all of you to do is think about how this applies to your value chain. Who's one partner in your value chain, a supplier or a customer, where you believe the conditions are right today to make that uncommon collaboration possible? Go have that discussion next week. Start the dialogue. Figure out what those new platforms you need to create are. Maybe they're resource intensive, maybe they're not, to be able to activate the uncommon collaboration. And the reason we put this last slide up here is we want to build a movement around this concept of uncommon collaboration. As the 17th Sustainable Development Goal clearly states, Partnership is critical because no one can do this alone. John? Let's, let's help them figure out how they can uh, respond to your call to action. How did you figure out the 50, who the 15 suppliers should be to, to bring into the room? Yeah, it's a great question. So it starts, and this is a very simple thing, with what problem are you trying to solve for? And that's why I talk about creating innovation to make responsible consumption possible. Because actually, a lot of these suppliers aren't necessarily working on the business that they're currently doing for P&G, right? And so it's, there's some tactical elements to it. Relatively large supplier relationships, the right commercial agreements, agreements in place from an IP standpoint, not an intellectual paper standpoint, from an intellectual property standpoint, right? Um, so if something comes out of this, we know we can activate something quickly and bring it to market with this supplier because they know how to work with P&G. There has to be a willingness to be transparent. Again, you've got competitors in the room. You've got people that are talking about different aspects of their business. You've got to have the right level of people in the room, folks like Tom, the folks in that, uh, in that room that I just showed the picture of were all relatively high-ranking people at their organizations. With the right problem statement, the right people in the room with the right, again, legal and contractual language in place, that's how we chose who we wanted to be part of it. It wasn't just necessarily some of our largest spend suppliers. It was the suppliers and partners that we feel like could really advance what we were trying to do on responsible consumption. So he mentioned the L word, legal, right? So Tom, how did you approach this? You know, I mean, you're not just supplying P&G. You're supplying all of their competitors. I'm probably certain of that. And so where... Where did that come into play? How did you get over that? How did you convince your legal staff that it was okay to have this? Uh, I think transparency and lawyers don't always you know, go together. Uh, it's, it's an issue we talked about. We've laughed about it. By the way, my lawyer is probably sitting. Where is he at? Where's my lawyer? There's Vinny right there. He's my lawyer. <laughs> I don't know if that's everybody at IP, but for some reason, whenever I go anywhere, they make my lawyer go with me. So. <laughs> Thanks for being here, Vinny. Uh, you know, one, it's a great question, John, because one of the very first things we ran into, Andy, you'll recall this, your team sent a document to us, said, hey, we're getting ready to spend four days with you in this design thinking workshop and sign away all your rights to anything we work on together. So uh, I, I chuckled about it. I said, wow, okay, Vinny and I looked at it. Uh, the other suppliers talked about it. There has to be a level of trust that uh, because our goals are 
relatively similar. Even more importantly, our core values are relatively similar. We're willing to trust at this initial stage of the relationship that both parties are gonna think win-win. So it, it is an issue, you have to think about it, it's real, because both of us have to protect our own company's interests. Right. The one thing I'll add is by keeping the group small, we're able to address some of the ideas and concerns on a more individual basis. 45,000 suppliers, in an ideal world, you'd have maybe more than just 12 or 15 participating in some of this. And, and we do do that work more broadly with our supply base. But to bring people together in this type of environment, it has to be the right environment, the right problem we're trying to solve for, and the right partners slash people in the room, for sure. Right. Elaine, I want to go over to sidebar. Have you got some good questions for Andy and Tom? Yeah. So we got a question via Nicole at Ekamai on Twitter. Um, does International Paper and P&G have any initiatives around non-tree-based paper products, like those made from agricultural waste? We, we are not involved. We, I'm speaking for International Paper, Lane. International Paper is not involved in non-paper-based manufacturing of products in a material way. Yeah, and from a, from a P&G standpoint, you know, specifically, obviously, to the international paper relationship, it's not something we're directly engaged with together. Um, there are certainly some agriculture elements that, that we work with, uh, and we talk about those in our public citizenship report, but not specifically with international paper. I, I would add on, too, is why isn't international paper involved? The manufacturing of pulp paper and packaging products from trees is a closed-loop, wonderful process. We use 100% of the trees that we take down. We are committed to responsible forestry. We produce 75% of our total energy in our mills from renewable biomass residuals, and we recover uh, nearly, I think it's 97% of all the chemicals that we use in breaking down the fiber and separating the cellulose from the tree. It's, it's a proven model. It works, and the healthiest working forests in the world are the ones that exist near paper mills. Andy, do you see expanding this program? I know you talked about, I mean, I know I run meetings with 20 or 25 people in a room, and no. that's about the max you can ever do if you're going to really have an engaged interaction. For sure. Are you looking at replicating across different business lines? Absolutely. Or areas of your Absolutely. Business? It's a model that we've moved to in the organization that I sit in and purchasing. The power of being able to bring, and it sounds so simple, right? with the right P&G leaders together, with the right suppliers across all of these industries. Having the advertising company sit next to the packaging company can create some really interesting ideas. And so the group spin that we're part of, that we've created, is across all of our businesses, all of our sectors focused on sustainability. We may also create groups, and we have some today, focused on our beauty care brands, focused on our baby care brands. And within that subset, we may have specific problems we want to solve around our citizenship agenda, on gender equality, on sustainability, whatever it might be. That's where our organization comes to me, and we figure out, again, who are the right partners to have at the table in those discussions. And Tom, you've got other customers. Are you trying to replicate this with some of your other large customers? We, we have not made a move in that way yet, John. There may be value in doing that for us. One of the things I'd like to add on to Andy's comments on spin, the most interesting thing about our three days together in Chicago is some of the best ideas for our relationship together came up from other P&G suppliers, the people who supply transportation or supply plastic bottles. They, they embrace the power of stupidity and ask questions like, why do you do this? Why don't you use plant, other plant-based fiber? Uh, why don't you use 100% uh, recycled raw material? Why do you bleach your fiber? So it's those questions from the uninformed that really uh, help us think differently about potential 
for step change in our business together. So we've just got a, about a minute to finish up here. I want each of you to think, what's your, what's your one tip? I'll start with you, Tom. What's your one tip for creating this uncommon collaboration? It is the number 17 on the uh, sustainable development goals, and I think a lot of people look at that and say, how are we going to, to be a part of that? So what, what's your one tip to everyone in the audience? I would look for a partner with whom you have a material relationship and, and A and B have common core values and goals. And then you will find opportunities. Just find A and B and the opportunities will present themselves to you when you start working together. For me, it comes back to creating the right platforms to nurture uncommon collaboration. That means the right people, the right problems you're trying to solve, the right charters. This is where it gets a little bit technical, but we can talk the big, exciting ideas like uncommon collaboration. You have to have a way to be able to bring it to life and translate it into action. That's great. Well, we're running out of time, but thanks, Andy. Thanks, Tom. You're welcome, John. Great Thank you. You've been listening to Andy Butler of Procter & Gamble and Tom Cleaves of International Paper in conversation with John Davies at the Green Biz 18 conference in Phoenix, Arizona. For more Center Stage podcasts, go to greenbiz.com slash center stage. And while you're there, tune into Green Biz 350, our weekly podcast covering the news and the people behind the news in sustainable business and clean technology. For all of us here at Green Biz Group, I'm Joel McCower. Thanks for listening. <laughs>